Well, Oregon is a big 23.5-point favorite, according to FanDuel, at Arizona State on Saturday. And they should be. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day in your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That is why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions do indeed apply. Talk about Arizona State a little bit. We'll have my guy Richie Bradshaw of Arizona State of Locked on Arizona State Sun Devils on tomorrow's show. Make sure you tune in for that because he knows everything you need to know. Here's something you should know, though. Oregon's a big road favorite here for a reason. Even in a conference game in which Arizona State has only won two league games so far this season, 23.5 points on the road is a big number. Now, I am fully aware of the demons that Oregon has had in the desert. We have also seen demons with Stanford before, and Dan Lanning hasn't had a problem with Stanford so far to date. Last year, playing an Arizona team that a season ago was – Better than this Arizona State team, Oregon went in and won the game. I think it was something like 49 to 20. So this is not a game Oregon can take lightly because there's no game Oregon can take lightly down the stretch. Whether you're playing an inferior opponent, which Arizona State is this year, or whether you're playing one closer to equal footing, which is Oregon State, you have to bring it every week because when the Ducks are sitting at sixth in the college football playoff rankings, your margin for error is pretty darn slim. And one bad performance against Arizona State on the road could bode poorly for Oregon as they try to get into the top four at the end of the season. But Oregon's a big favorite here for a reason because the Ducks are playing very well on both sides of the football. Bo Nix leads the, co- leads the country, not the conference, the country, in completion percentage. He is the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy right now with two games left in the regular season and the conference championship, meaning if Oregon wins their next three games, and I think they're going to win this week, I think they've got a great chance to win next week, and then we'll see how we're feeling going into a Pac-12 championship game at that time, one game at a time. Bo Nix would be in a great position to win the Heisman Trophy. Now, Arizona State's defense this year has had its moments. But ultimately, their moments have been fueled by their defensive coordinator. So their defensive coordinator is a guy by the name of Brian Ward. You may not know who he is. I know who he is because I'm a college football, especially in the Pac-12, junkie. He was the defensive coordinator at Washington State last year with Jake Dickert, and I think the year prior. Their defense was very good last year. He has since left to go down to Arizona State. That happened before this season, of course. He is Kenny Dillingham's defensive coordinator. He's very good. Arizona State's defense has been the reason they have won games this year, held UCLA to seven points on the road last week, held Washington to 15 in Seattle. He's really sharp. And Washington State's defense has taken a big step backwards in a massive way. So, and I think Dickert's a good coach, but Brian Ward was clearly a big loss for him this offseason. 
They lost him before the bowl game last year, the Cougs did. And guess what? They lost the game in a big way. So Ward is really good. The issue I think he's going to run into with this Oregon offense is there are just too many weapons and too much talent and everything is flowing the way that we would like it to as Duck fans. Because Will Stein, the offense coordinator, has been a tremendous hire. And Kenny Dillingham was singing his praises indirectly, right? That's the guy that was hired once Dillingham went down to Tempe after the Oregon State game last year. And Will Stein is a nominee for the Broyles Award, given to the nation's top assistant. Why? Well, Oregon's number one in scoring offense in all of college football. It's pretty darn good. I think that Arizona State's going to run into problems here against Oregon because Oregon's talent is really good, and their coordinator is really good, and their quarterback is really good. And at home, you could try and make the case, well, Arizona State's defense is nasty. They can do this, that, and the other thing. We know that Bo Nix is not phased by road environments at this point. He's not phased by anything. Went into Utah against a defense that's better than ASU's. A good one exists at Arizona State, but a better one exists at Utah every single year. And Bo Nix was unfazed. First three drives that didn't have a turnover, all touchdowns. Took the crowd out of it right away. And that's going to be important here. I think Arizona State lacks the high-end talent and consistent depth that is needed in order to slow down this Oregon offense, which no one's really been able to do so far. Oregon's fewest amount of points in a game were 33 at Washington, hostile environment, good team with some failures in the red zone and a missed field goal at the end of the game. So I think Oregon's motivation level is very high. I think their confidence is very high and their talent is just greater than that that exists on the Arizona State side of things. So everything for the Ducks on both sides of the ball is operating at a high level, except Camden Lewis. That's really it, right? You could say, well, the kicking game. No, 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 no. The punting game has been great. But Camden Lewis is not in a good place right now. And and, and speaking of which, if this game goes the way I expect it to, it would do a lot if we ended up just having to kick like three or four field goals and Camden could see some balls go through the uprights. Because We know he's fine on extra points. Well, yeah, of course, an extra point is really, really easy. But he's got to find a way to get his confidence back. And, you know, Andrew Boyle, the kickoff specialist, was back at practice this week. The Austin Audible guys reported that, and they hadn't seen him since September. Maybe he's taking over that duty once again. That's been a problem for Camden. It has been, consistently. He's kicking the ball out of bounds too often. So everything but that is rolling, and that's a first-world problem for Oregon to be dealing with right now. I think defensively, the Ducks are in a great spot. And they've played well at home. They've played well on the road. Offensively, they've played well at home. They've played well on the road. No one has held them under 33 points. And Arizona State this year has only allowed 30 or more points twice. That's going to be three times after the game in Tempe on Saturday. Because I just like everything about where this Oregon team is at. The Sun Devils are getting back Jaden Rashada. You might remember him from recruiting efforts over the summer, highly rated four-star quarterback. He was Florida. He was Miami. Then he ended up at Arizona State. He's their quarterback of the future, talented kid, but definitely a raw product who hasn't played in a long time. Their offense is so makeshift. I mean, you can't underscore enough how bad of a loss that was by UCLA last week at home against a team that was running a swinging gate wildcat with Jalen Conyers, a tight end, and Cameron Scadaboo, the running back, taking snaps. Like that, 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 that's a thing that happened. And then Arizona State's defense held them to seven points. 
But the third string quarterback for the Bruins was playing in that game. And Oregon's offensive line is better. And Oregon's offensive coordinator, I, I think, is in a much better groove than Chip Kelly has been so far. And things are not looking good for our old friendship over at UCLA. Sounds like he might be on his way out after the UCLA game, unless, you know, on his way out as much as he might be shown the door. So I think that Oregon's in a really good spot. They've got more talent on both sides of the ball. And, and I don't know if it's an overlooked component of, you know, a discrepancy here, but Arizona State's offensive line has really struggled at times this year. That They've been dealing with depth issues in a major way. They've had a bunch of injuries. They didn't have a ton of talent to begin with. I think Oregon's front four is going to have a big, big day. I'm calling four or more sacks, at least four sacks for this Oregon defense. And I won't be surprised if that number's higher. I, I think they're going to absolutely get after it against a banged up and just kind of downtrodden, downtrodden Arizona State offensive line. Dillingham's doing a good job. I think he's going to continue doing a good job. This is just not the matchup for him to try and pull a rabbit out of the hat. Dan Lanning said at Pac-12 Media Day over the summer, well, when you play your little brother, you want to whoop his butt. That's how he feels going against Dillingham. I think that's going to happen this week. So plenty more to get to on the show because, I mean, when are there not things to get to? Goodness gracious, this podcast is five days a week all year round, six days a week in football season. There's plenty, of course, to get to. Lots to look at on LinkedIn, though, because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there, create a free job post, which is really easy. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors because they use simple tools like screening questions. So LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do indeed apply. It is time now for our Athletic Brewing Company Game Changer of the Week, because much like Athletic Brewing Company has changed the non-alcoholic beer game, Tez Johnson was changing the game on Saturday night, setting the tone against USC with a 77-yard touchdown on the second play from scrimmage. He was barely touched. That changed the game, and Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews have changed the game as well. Their brews are great-tasting, award-winning, beat-up full-strength beers in global competitions, and they're fit for all time. So you can have them while watching a big game or at your kid's game, Take it, tackling work, tackling a workout maybe. Whenever you want one, you can have one, no hangovers ever. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code Locked On to get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions, and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All righty then, we've got our second segment sip. So let's get into the mailbag. A lot of ways to get into the mailbag. YouTube comments and Twitter. Those are the classic ways, tried and true, still successful as always. You can also become a Locked on Ducks insider and join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch this show. You get breaking news, reaction, more in-depth thoughts from me. You can talk with me one-on-one, especially during games, and I check it more often than I do social media. And you get priority mailbag access. So you send a question over there, it goes straight to the top. Free 14-day trial, then it's just $5 a month if you want to check it out. Certainly not a requirement. 
requirement. This show continues to be free and available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. This question from Nathaniel. Are you more concerned about the Ducks' chances of winning out or about what happens elsewhere? For me, it's kind of the latter. It's almost as if Florida State has to lose. Ohio State and Michigan could split and both get in. Bama could beat Georgia and they both get in. How do you see it? Also, what position group besides quarterback do the Ducks need health the most? Those are two very different questions. I'll answer the second one first because there's an easy answer here to me. It's running back. It's running back because without Noah Whittington there, look, James and Irving, both fantastic. You need two high-level guys, and those are high-level guys. Oregon's got to be able to continue to stay healthy at that particular position. So I think that's the most important one. As for the other questions, the big picture ones, uh, Ohio State and Michigan cannot split because the Big Ten still has divisions. So only one of Ohio State and Michigan can get to the Big Ten championship game, meaning in all likelihood only one can make the college football playoff. That's the way it should be. So last year it was going to be that way until USC lost to Utah. Ohio State lost to Michigan, but Ohio State ended up getting in because USC lost. They fell to eleven and two. USC was eleven, or Ohio State was eleven and one, and the Buckeyes got in. That's how it's worked. I think a couple times throughout the 14, 14 playoff formats. So that can't happen. But the loser of Michigan-Ohio State should be out of the college football playoff picture. Because if you don't have a conference championship, someone's going to be there with one loss in a conference title. It's an extra win, and it's an extra quality win. The committee has historically honored that. So I think one of those teams is going to be out of the running there. I am with you, though, that I am more concerned about what happens elsewhere. I think that Oregon's chances of winning out are good. They, it is certainly not set in stone in my mind. I think they're going to win this week. I think they're going to win next week. And then they have to get over the hurdle that will be Washington. Hasn't happened yet. Landing's 0-2 against Kalen DeBoer, so they have to be able to right the ship on that front. Are they capable? 100%. But let's take it one game at a time here. Because Oregon, I think, could benefit at least a little from an impressive win by 25 to 30 points against Arizona State on the road, a team that gave Washington trouble up in Seattle. I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, I think it'd be a good thing. The issue is you've got Florida State in there that's currently unbeaten and is being overvalued by the committee, and they are stubbornly committed to the idea that FSU has a better resume than Washington, which is patently absurd. It's, it, it, it is East Coast bias at its finest, 100%. It's really, really stupid. Florida State's resume is not as good as Washington's, no matter how you slice it. You you cannot look at their schedules. By the way, Florida State plays North Alabama this week, and the Huskies play the Beavers. So, yeah, that's also a joke. Florida State is an issue in there. It would be nice if Florida State lost, because I think with the way their schedule looks, they would fall below Alabama. That is my belief. The ACC stinks. It's not good. I just don't know who Florida State's losing to because the ACC stinks. So that's a problem. Bama can be held off from, from leaping the Ducks if Texas keeps winning. Now, the wild card here is that Georgia is sitting there undefeated. And I'm sitting here telling you what should happen is that if Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game and they're locked into it, both are going to have, you know, Bama will have the one loss to Texas. Georgia will be undefeated going into that game. 
The winner should be into the playoff and the loser should be out. Bama will have picked up their second loss. Georgia's schedule is weak. It is not good. They have some quality wins on there. Their margin of victory is good, 100%. But in no way, if they can't win their conference championship game, who's their their best win going to be? Like Tennessee? Let me pull up Georgia's schedule real quick. Because it is not very good. Their non-conference schedule is an absolute joke. Scheduling is the biggest issue in college football, and it's not even close. Okay, here are their teams. UT Martin, that's a bye game. Okay, whatever. Ball State. Yeah, okay. Not even a good G5. South Carolina, win 24-14. to Okay, UAB, that's their other. So their non-conference slate is UT Martin, Ball State, and UAB. They should be punished for that. I don't know if they will be. They beat Kentucky by a lot. That's a good solid win, 51-13. to you win that game by 38 points? Yeah, okay. Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri, who is way overvalued in the top 10. Joel Klatt had a great spiel about that. Ole Miss, who's not going to finish inside the top 10 in all likelihood. Uh, Ole Miss, by the way, plays, oh, who is it? Oh, yeah, UL Monroe, I think, is their opponent this week. Oh, that's tough. Tennessee is not that good. Tennessee being ranked is comical. It's absolutely comical. They get housed by Missouri. They lose to Florida, who's unranked, and they're still inside the top, I think, 20. It's it's ridiculous. Their two games, oh, they played Tennessee this week. So Tennessee should fall at the top 25 after that, but they shouldn't be ranked going into this week's matchup. It, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Then they play Georgia Tech the following week. They're going to win both those games because neither of those teams are any good. That schedule is not very good. It absolutely is not. I don't know if the committee will see it that way, but this is 100%. I am with you, Nathaniel. I am worried about what could happen elsewhere. Because it feels like a 12-1 and SEC champion Bama is into the playoff. A 12-1 and non-SEC champion Georgia shouldn't be in the playoff with their absolutely pathetic non-conference schedule. But will they be? I don't know. I, I I just, I don't know if the committee will have the guts to do it. They should, they should, but I, I just don't know if they will. And I, I don't, I don't like it. But that's, that's the way it is. SEC East Coast bias. It's a very, very real thing. So, you know, Texas continuing to win by the way, like really what Oregon fans should want to have happen is don't, don't introduce Alabama into the mix. Like the, the best things that can happen going forward. I think we should want Washington to win by just a little bit. Like it's fine either way, most likely, depending on what happens there. I think Washington winning is the best outcome. Georgia beating Bama in the SEC championship game and Ohio State beating uh, Michigan because Michigan's non-conference schedule is also a joke. They don't have a power five team on it. So no way that they could be a threat in there at, at 11 and one. Uh, but between Alabama, Texas, and Florida State, Oregon would really like to have at least one of them lose, preferably two, to guarantee a spot into the college football playoff. So uh, those are my thoughts on that particular matter. Game day in Eugene next week? Hey, hey, now that would be an upside of of Oregon State winning. There'd be a downside, but Yeah. I think it is possible. It's also possible that you haven't checked out prize picks yet, which is okay. We, we, we've all got time. We all make mistakes. Once upon a time, you hadn't checked out this podcast, and yet 
here you are. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. That's all it is. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, you can do combo projections like LeBron James and Travis Kelsey, 10 and a half combined three-pointers and receptions. Pick over or under. You can play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite community members like rappers Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. Get started today at prizepicks.com slash college. Use code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash college. Use code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, so... Uh, Tim sent in a question about the possibility of college game day coming to Eugene for the game formerly known as the Civil War. This can only take place, of course, if and only if Oregon State wins this week. Now, there is a downside to Oregon State winning, which is I don't know what happens with Washington. Like the dramatic, like, like would they really stand pat? Losing to the number 11 team on the road as a two-and-a-half-point underdog is where the line's at right now. They they should. Don't know if they will. The Ducks cannot move ahead of Washington in the rankings until the Ducks beat Washington head-to-head or Washington loses two games, which isn't going to happen. Washington can lose to Oregon State. They will not lose to Washington State the following week. So, that said... Oregon has to either beat Washington on the field or get a Cougs upset in order for Washington to fall behind them. So my concern is that if Washington were to lose to Oregon State this week, would the committee do a four-team, two-by-two swap? It sounds drastic, but again, talking about big brands, SEC bias. If Washington loses, would they fall down to number seven? Is that right? Yeah, they'd fall down to seven. Would Oregon fall to eight? Because because the Ducks loss then wouldn't look as good, and they'd move Texas up to five and Bama up to six. I hope not. I hope not. That's the downside of it. That's why I lean towards Oregon should want Washington to win the game. As weird as it feels. Right. And I, I feel super bad for the Beavs. Glad they got the legal win, at least for now, with that court ruling earlier this week. I hate what's happening to them in realignment. I hate realignment in general, but I think Oregon's got to be rooting against them this week because a top five win against Washington and a top 15 win against Oregon State probably does about the same for your resume as a top 10 win against Washington and a top 10 win against Oregon State. And then you factor in, you know, what could happen to Washington if they lose? Hopefully nothing, but eh, we'll see. This question from Doug. Spencer, I'd like to see UW beat the Beavs. With our win at ASU, we clinched a trip to the Pac-12 championship and a rematch with the Dogs. If OSU beats the Huskies and if they follow it up with all on the line and beat us somehow at Austin, they go to the Pac-12 championship and we are left out a second year in a row. What say you? Well, I think I just kind of shared my thoughts on the matter. Oregon controls its own fate to the Pac-12 championship game. I think the Ducks control 75% of their own fate to the college football playoff. A one-loss Power 5 champion is seldom left out of the playoff. It has happened once before, Ohio State in 2018. I don't think they had a particularly strong schedule. 
I think Oregon's is a little bit better. It would have been more advantageous for the Ducks if Texas Tech had had the eight and four caliber season they were capable of. Instead, they're fighting to make a bowl game. That could do something, but I don't think it does a ton, given they're going to be, you know, a 500 ish team at best. This question from, I think, Georg, G E O R D E. Maybe it's supposed to be George. I don't know. Spence, in your opinion, where does Franklin rank against past Oregon receivers? He's the best one I've seen since Jeff Mayo, and he is a better receiver than Jeff Mayo. Now, my personal favorite receiver of all time is Jeff Mayo. Like, that is just a nostalgic pick for me. He's also really good. He was a thousand yard receiver, all conference guy. Franklin's going to be a late first, early second round pick in the NFL draft. I think Mayo had a cup of coffee in the NFL and then uh, wasn't able to make it. But Troy Franklin. I, I don't know how you leave him off a top five Oregon receiver list all time. So he is going to need something to the effect. I forget how many receptions, but to set the Oregon single season receiving yards record, and he's got uh, 11 touchdowns, by the way, through 10 games. That's not bad. He only needs like 89 yards. There's still two games left. Whatever bowl game Oregon plays in, hopefully it's a playoff matchup. But I mean, Barring an injury, he's going to set the single-season completion record. He's the Ducks' first 1,000-yard receiver since Dylan Mitchell in 2018. The receivers I've watched in my lifetime, if I put together the best ones, the creme de la creme, if I were to you know, say, okay, top five Oregon receivers the last 15 years, as in you know, what I've watched most of my life in college football, I guess I've been watching since I was five. So, oh, gosh, I'm over two decades. Okay, okay. I'm old, I'm old, I'm old. Okay, so... I, I would have Jeff Mail on there. I'd have Troy Franklin on there. I'd have Dylan Mitchell on there. I would have Josh Huff on there as well. <sighs> Who would the fifth one be? That'd be tough. Th- those would be my go-tos. I-, I mean, just right off the bat, I'd take those guys every single day of the week. Sammy Parker, maybe. Parker was really good. Oh, that's tough. I, but but anyway, in my lifetime, I could readily make the case that Franklin's the best receiver I've seen for the Ducks. Absolutely, I like he the, the numbers back that up. Where he's going to go in the NFL draft, and just what he means to this offense, and and everything he does, his yards after catch, contested catches, like he's he's got the whole package. He's he's a stud, absolute stud. Several of you, I'll end on this, are continuing to ask about Dante Moore. I I am not in on Dante Moore coming to Oregon, unless Austin Novosad transfers, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't want it to happen because I think Novosad has got some real potential here. And I don't see the upside of bringing in Dante Moore. Oh, he's a big time recruit. Guess what? He needs a lot of work. You know who needed a lot of work once upon a time? Ty Thompson. You know who's been given the time to put in that time? Ty Thompson. So unless Dante Moore wants to come to Oregon and be a backup in all likelihood to Ty Thompson for at least a year, who looks like Oregon starter for next year, that's not guaranteed. But I I, I don't think that Dante Moore is the answer for Oregon at quarterback in 2024 when they could have a really good roster. I mean, a really good roster. If JPJ comes back at center, offensive line will be sick. Absolutely awesome. Defensive front, going to replace a lot of guys, a lot of incoming talent. Linebackers should be really good. Secondary should have a lot of good players back there. So 
I, I look at, by the way, shout out to Roderick Pleasant for that tackle on the two-point conversion play by USC late in the game. Big-time play, big-time moment for the true freshman when Oregon had a lot of injuries there. So I, I, I look at Dante Moore and say, I, I don't see the upside. I don't see the fit. I don't see the role unless Ty Thompson were to transfer. And I don't think that's going to happen. And look, if, if I'm overreacting to small glimpses, then we were all overreacting to the small glimpses we saw previously. Ty Thompson looks like he can be a starting quarterback. I think that this staff and Bo Nix have been great influences on him. And every time he's taken the field, guy looks ready. He looks really ready. We'll check in again on the spring game because this past year's spring game, it looked like he'd made some progress, but not a ton. Game action, he looks a lot better and has to be the leading candidate to start for the Ducks next year. And I, I, I just don't see the fit for Dante Moore. If Chip Kelly gets fired and they, you know, aren't able to keep Dante Moore down there at UCLA, I, I think he'll have suitors that can offer him a starting quarterback job, guaranteed. And that it would that would not be a guaranteed thing with the Ducks. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.